Hello, welcome to Book Shambles, in which we, the liberal media elite, read books so you have to. Ha! <laughs> or uh, don't read books, but are very honest about the fact that we haven't read them, and that in <laughs> itself is commendable. It is. Do you know what? I still haven't finished Infinite Jest. If I'm really honest, I'm only at page 47, but uh, I'm going to. I saw the trailer to the film about the tour, that, the last tour, with uh, David Foster Wallace and the journalist, and I'd been very, not snarky, but I'd been very like, well, I won't be watching that. Ugh. And I saw the, the trailer, and I cried just from the trailer and I was like I should probably watch this that does I, I'm very I, infinite because a lot of people say infinite jest is totally impenetrable for ages but I found the first 47 pages I was going I like this I think he's a great writer I really really do I just think the length of it I'm like I, I'm busy I can't do this guys Proust you're gonna have to wait <laughs> Joyce is in line hang on a minute Joyce now pensions after me time <laughs> oh no Shan't... two in the Silurians again then 124 pages shan't be reading any more Pinchon no mm. no <laughs> so I've been told the best place to start is crying at lot 49. So there we go. That's literature. Now, we are joined... You haven't introduced the name of the podcast yet. Oh, I did. I said this is Book Shambles. Oh, Right hey, at the beginning, we yeah. We took the names out and then we... Ill- oh, we I'm erased. sorry. I actually removed the names. Uh, welcome to Josie Long and Robin's Book Shambles. So we're joined by the poet and broadcaster... Just so you know, Selena, everyone is an and broadcaster. We've decided oh, just to bring the liberalism of broadcasting. Um... <laughs> And you are, I'm trying to think the first time that we met, because it would have been at, it was a, was it at a festival? Because I know that we, we met at the, uh, there was not the, what's it called, that one that was really muddy. It was the Muddy Festival. What, Latitude? Well, no, actually Latitude probably was the Port first Elliot. time we met, wasn't it? Port Elliot, but there was that one that where everyone was sinking in, in, maybe in fact you did Festival. No, it was more, was mu- more muddy, muddy than that. It was somewhere muddy in the Ooh. Midlands. Well, I do, yeah, I do do at least, at least 12 or more festivals every summer, at least, yeah. So I feel like I've met you, Josie, for a cider at some we were festival. We might have been at the back of the back of latitude, of latitude or something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I know everyone. From well, that is the great thing, yeah. is it? That there's always a level of Hay confusion if cider. you predominantly meet each other at festivals. It does change. First of all, we look different. We're in our different hats, aren't we? <laughs> uh, you're in a hat because you are one of the fashionistas, Josie Long, and I'm in a hat because I'm now bald enough that I get sun damage if I don't wear a brimmed fedora. I got you a nice hat, didn't I? <laughs> You've got me a lovely little woollen hat. Won't be wearing that for the festival, but we'll be wearing it for the chilly months. So <laughs> how would you... So, I, I know you predominantly as a poet. That's what I, I, I think. And I wanted to... Well, this is the... OK, this is a different... The first thing was last week, or a couple of weeks back, we were talking to Stuart Lee and we were talking about he's writing the introduction to a collection of Billy Childish's lyrics. And someone since that podcast has gone, as a poet, gone, hang on a minute, I think it's wrong that lyricists are published by Faber and Faber or other poetry groups because that may well mean that poets don't get published. So I, I think as soon as, as soon as you sort of started saying that, the first people that come to mind is uh, PJ Harvey and Nick Cave and Leonard Cohen, who cross all of those boundaries of kind of being lyrical and poetic and narrators and storytellers all in one. So, and also so just, to that. Well, exactly. It's just too rigid a, a, a definition to put on someone to say, you're a poet, yeah. that's you done. You know, like, you're trying to find what best suits your creative voice throughout your life. Well, it's and kind of, it it depend- not- yeah, and it, it depends on the content. It depends on the thing that you're writing. Let's say you have an idea, you're down the pub and you're having a laugh with your mate and you have, like, this sort of joke. For example, I've got uh, the poem I was doing most this summer. Every summer I do, there's this one poem that I really try and drive home. So this summer my poem was um, My Tits Are More Feminist Than Your Tits, <laughs> which obviously started off as a joke sitting around drinking with mates. So it started 
starts off as a little joke and then it grows and then it might become like a page poem or it might warp and then become a performance poem or it might become a song. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And, and you don't know where these things are going to take you. Of course. But they often start like that, don't they? Yeah, it's the same with stand-up. You know, a little idea that you might do for a minute or so of stand-up, then you might actually end up using that as an idea for a story or a script or something. Or even the title of a book. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why poetry? This last night doing an event with uh, Alan Moore and he read his uh, heroic poem oh, of the people amazing. of Spring Burroughs, which is where he was brought up. And basically his point is that everyone, it's, should, you know, everyone is deserving of heroic poetry. There is a... And, and that these people who were marginalised for so long. And there is, watching that audience... And see the way that they're kind of leaning forward, the way that they are enthralled by, I suppose, in some ways, the fact that you have to be sparse but imaginative, which is to go, what is the thing that is most needed? There is not, in my kind of prose writing in particular, there's far too many, you know, adjectives, adverbs, uh, tangents, mm -hmm. etc. So what was it that drew you to, to poetry as the way of, of for you to write your work? Um, I think poetry kind of pulled me in. I kind of, yeah, I don't... I don't remember specifically sitting there choosing it. The story that goes with this is that I'm, I was 19, turning 20, and I met Jock Scott, the poet. Don't know if you, you're I don't familiar know Jock with him. Scott. Jock Scott kind of was like kind of a proper old sort of punky mod kind of. I don't know. I met him in the 1990s. He came to London from Scotland with all the punky punkies. I've lost the names. I'm calling them punky punkies. Well, this punkies. is very, again, mm. this is how poetry works, <laughs> Josie. I See, mean, sorry, someone like I mean, you Malcolm or I, McLaren. who is a prose <laughs> person, we would say a punk will use their name. But she is a poet. She'll know them as the punky punkies. <laughs> the free association. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I meant Malcolm McLaren and, and all those. That, that oh, no, era. I think you'll find Malcolm McLaren introduced London to him to the because Malcolm punkies. McLaren was there first <laughs> and uh, invented it. Uh, OK. And so, so I just, I have this real thing against Malcolm McLaren because I'm like, you didn't do everything, Malcolm. You yeah. just ran a shop, mate. It was kind of all, all that scene. Anyway, Jock Scott, I, I remember going to his, he was the first person I ever interviewed. I used to do interviews for Acid Jazz magazine, which was then a little a little zine thing. And um, I worked at Acid Jazz answering their phones when I was 19. It's the first job I ever had and I haven't had a job since. <laughs> but um, Jock Scott, I was watching his he, his poetry and I said, oh, Jock, I'm terribly frustrated. I've got a pile that is this high and that's all songs and they're all lovely and finished and they've got an obvious chorus and verse and they make sense. But I've got a pile twice as high and I've written underneath them unfinished because I can't find a tune for them. I can't find a melody. There's not an obvious chorus. And it was him that said to me, did it occur to you they're not unfinished songs but they're poems? So instead of constantly trying to find a tune, I suddenly realised I was writing more poems than lyrics and songs. So that's kind of where it kind of sprung from. Well, that live poetry thing as well, which is... I was watching that documentary a while ago, John Cooper Clark, who there is, by the way, a new fantastic box set of John Cooper Clark oh, that's just that's come out. It's really, really good. And... Uh, Watching that documentary where you forget how important he was, the fact that he is there spitting out at incredible speed these poems before the buzzcocks come on with an audience, you know, with a punk audience or yes. punky punk audience. Punky and it punk. is just, <laughs> and it is, it's so, every time that I see him, and I mean, I, I'm also just astonished that each time you go, I wonder yet if his thighs are wider than his knees. No, the drain pipe still so fits. He's skinny. Yeah, yeah. He's, but it's that. Taking that, that I think changed a lot of people, their mind about what poetry was. And then the albums that he did with Martin Hannett as well, yes. uh, and the music, you know, it's very experimental, it's fascinating stuff. And, and I wonder for you, when you first thought, right, I'm going to try and do these live, then this is what 
what's the, what's the poet? Because I've sometimes been to poetry events, and I think some of the poets are a bit up themselves and yeah. a bit rude to other poets, much more than some, comics are. Well, I think the I think the only criticism I have with poetry is the elitism that sadly attaches itself to the form. I think that a poet's role is to narrate the times and document the times, in like the voice of the people. I'm very much the romance of that. I was I'm very kind of drawn to. And when I first started doing, I did my first gigs in 1994 with Jock Scott, John Cooper Clark and all that. John Cooper Clark hasn't changed a bit. I remember in 1994, he was exactly, you know, the same. I think he must sleep in a coffin and they just get up and go draw. But well, um, I love the fact that there yeah. was uh, Johnny Green, who I'm sure you know, who is uh, kind of, well, he's his manager really now, isn't he? He used, used yeah. to, work, to work with oh, The Clash. He's a ledge. Jo- he's Johnny brilliant. is great. and uh, But he will, sometimes you would go and see John Cooper Clark and he just did, never got round. It was like, you know, when the old music hall acts go, in a moment I'm going to play this violin and they're going to play a lovely work, but I'll tell you what though, first let me tell you about my mother. Yeah. Now, but John <laughs> Cooper Clark, it's like every time he's about to go, anyway, now about to do evidently Chicken Town, but oh, is a joke about scolders. Yeah. And I just loved it because it's like constantly hanging over are these classic poems of the punk and post-punk era. Yes. And he never quite actually gets it. And then afterwards, I was chatting to Johnny about that and he went, no, did that too much. This No, 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 he should have given them more poems. Because right, right. I think the first time I ever saw him was at Bungie's. Did you ever play Bungie's? I remember that place. Well, it was fantastic. It doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> don't go looking for it. It's not there anymore. But it was uh, It was this tiny little... Our friend Will Smith, posh boy comedian Will Smith, used to run a comedy club there called Yoda's because it was a bit like Yoda's cave, right? As, as we know, uh, Will is someone who embraces his own Star Wars nerdiness when it was in its unfashionable period as well. And... Uh, it, it was this tiny little, it was, it was run by a lovely couple. They did vegetarian food. I think it was predominantly vegetarian. And you used to sometimes see, I'm sure, French four riot girls, like Huggy Bear would be sitting in the corner and they'd be oh cutting God, out their long, fanzines. Long dead London, I call to you. I wish you were here. <laughs> yeah, it was dead so good. And, <laughs> and you would go down there and have these poetry nights. And uh, there was, and I remember one night, John Cooper Clark was on. Yes. And all he did was pub jokes and then maybe a couple of poems. But there was yeah. this a poet that I wish I knew was. He had this brilliant face where he looked a little bit. But if Paul Weller played the child catcher mm. in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, that's what he'd look like. Wow. Yes. And this guy went on and did poems about architecture. And it was bloody brilliant. It was like kind of almost psychogeography poems. But a lot of the other poets obviously thought he was a bit of a dick and kind of talked over him and stuff. People broke Ooh. glasses because they thought, oh, yeah, well, we're, we're a punk thing, so we're yeah. going to break glasses. You go, no, but these glasses are owned by the old couple who yeah, run the yeah. thing. This is not, I'll tell you, who are you going to stick it to? The man. Who represents the man? This couple who make vegetarian lasagnas. They are <laughs> yeah, the man. And gave us one for free earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's, I think that, yeah, that John Cooper Clock was a massive influence. And also, during those days, I was dating kind of BMX kind of skateboarder punk boys, like yeah. the new wave of punk, punky punks. And I would um, do open for them. And so, so being quite, writing poetry that was quite visceral, writing mm. poetry that was quite strong. It was no, you weren't going to get away with some little love poem at a gig like that, you know, like down in Hastings Crypt where the walls are all sweating and pouring with beer and you've, you're the opening act for some really hardcore kind of skateboard music. So that kind of, that kind of visceral kind of way of writing definitely came from those two um, influences at the same time in my early, early, early 20s, yeah. Can you remember any of that stuff that you might have done before? The yeah, BMX I still do pumps? some of it. Go I on still then, can do... we have a little bit? Uh, ah, you're going to 
no, I'm not she going says, to reaching for her book. <laughs> That's like me going, tell us a joke. <laughs> no, it's not like telling you a joke because she's a poet, isn't she? Yeah. Tell us a joke, though. Yeah. Tell us a joke, though. Make it do funny. the Raymond Carver one again. <laughs> do it properly <laughs> this time. Well, for example, this one, cervical smear. The punks used to love this, the punky punks. But they had girlfriends and wives. They actually used to love this stuff. And sometimes I'd have like a stripper uh, um, doing stripping to my poetry. And that was quite good. I was like, wow, they've really had their attention. <laughs> yeah. Okay, circle smear. Open your legs, poke your inner flower. That's it, lady. Did you bathe or shower before you came to surgery today? Looks like you should have, shall we say. Now see these metal razor-sharp utensils as wide as sellotape around 150 pencils. Now that's to clamp you like a car jack. Just relax. Lie on your back. Ooh, lady, you are a wide one. Have you had children or just a good run? Let me shove in this splintered wood, ram it in carelessly. Oh, you are good. Now breathe slowly while I'll insert some broken glass covered in dirt and twist and spring catch it wide with 14 mirrors and spoons inside. There you go, slip back into your clothes. I place my glasses on my nose. You'll have the results in a few days. Try to use lube and not mayonnaise. Now what exactly seemed to be the trouble? A little itch that's your shaving stubble. Now take the pill until you're 40. See you then if you're not naughty. Next patient, please, nurse, there's a sweet, as I mop Vaseline off my plastic sheet and sterilise my razor-sharp sticks of lead. A hello, lady, hello, lady, hop on the bed. Hello, lady, hello, lady, hop on the bed. Uh, I hate the way they say hop on the bed. They all try and make it I don't really feel jolly. at all hoppity right now. You look really <laughs> nice. It reminds me, my friend did a really great thing where she um, made a rap video about getting a smear test. Um, well, it's but it's kind of the opposite experience. It's it's sort of to try and say like it's helpful for us to know whether or not yeah. we have cancer. So it's not really focusing on the fact that I know that's... it can be the most traumatic awful <laughs> thing. But it's really. Um, but yeah, you should check out the video. Um, her name's Nadia Kamal, and it's called Pap Rap. I think it's oh, really nice. great. It's really fun. I will. I will. Okay. But. Um, uh, Enough of this yeah, lady's talk. I'm beginning to blush. I'm beginning to Hello, blush. welcome Never. to Women's Hour. <laughs> I can totally imagine punk audiences being into that because it's so, like, hard and intense. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. So what was did you what were the what was the stuff that you thought this really does translate and this works with this audience and as you said yeah because everyone's you know there's lots of but what what were the bits where you went oh right I can't do this yet what was the moment of freedom where when they went Selena we've decided you've done so many of the Crypt Hastings gigs that we're going to allow you to do a poetry evening where you can do your romantic love poetry <laughs> was there a sudden release where you went oh I or were you so do you know what Robin by... I don't think I've ever. In the 20 years I've been doing this, I don't think I've ever... I think uh, I can only think of one time when I did nothing but page stuff. That, you no, know, my page stuff... I'm a really sensitive soul. My page stuff's very tender, very loving, very... You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really... I get really upset when things aren't fair and, you know, and, and, and I'm a big romantic, but I would never get up and read that stuff. I did a gig once at Ubud, uh, the Ubud Writers' Festival in, in Bali, and I did nothing but the touching stuff. The whole audience were in tears, and I'm in tears, and it was just absolutely awful. It was like the opposite of making a whole room laugh. So you don't get a thrill from like, yeah, no, I've got look, you guys all crying. No, no, like this is awful. I'm never doing this ever again. So I don't really, no, I don't really do the sort of touching, feely stuff. You can read that, you know, on my blog or in books. But I, yeah, I tend to go to entertain you. I kind of like making people laugh. I, yeah, there's kind of a little bit of me that kind of I really love 
comedians. I really love Lenny Bruce. I really love like loads of, and I just sort of like that borderline kind of, I sort of think of them as like Bill Hicks. I kind of think they're quite poetic as well as being comedians. And I kind of like that tiny thin line between poetry and comedy. Well, it's a lovely. The genre is so fluid that it really, you know, with stand up, it really is often poetry or often performance art or, you know, polemic or whatever. Yeah. And it's also gags and it's also, you know. Yeah. But well, that's like what you've got to remember, haven't you? How much you can do with the medium yeah. and the fact that you can then also steals. mix stuff up. Yeah. You can have, you know, poetry and all of. I mean, you've got a Lenny Bruce book there. Yeah, I just brought that because um, I know you're comedians. So I thought that. <laughs> I like comedians, please don't fight me. No. <laughs> but I also like you the know. fact that, like, we're comedians, you brought, like, Lenny Bruce, which is kind of canonical, beautiful, like, old classic, as opposed to, like, this is, I, I bought this Benny Hill book. I didn't, <laughs> um, I didn't bring um, books I'm reading. I brought books I love. If, I, literally, if my bag got stolen on the tube home, I would cry for weeks. But this is a really lovely early edition of the, the story of Lenny. And I like the movie with Dustin Hoffman playing Lenny. Oh, it's Bruce. great. I think it's amazing. Have you seen all that jazz? No. Right, yes. all that jazz, Bob Foss, Bob Fossey, I never remember which one he read. There's this Fossey. bit in it where, so Roy Scheider is playing, it's based quite an autobiographical film, and throughout the film he's this choreographer, this director, and he's also made this film about a comedian. The comedian's played by Cliff Gorman in this, and he's having real trouble editing it because he'd obviously had trouble with the actor. And eventually, after spending a year editing it, when the reviews come out, they all go, the actor's brilliant, the directing's awful, having put all that effort in, right? And I can't help but think, oh, so Bob maybe didn't get on that well with Dustin Hoffman? I don't know. Right. No, but there's right. a, it's a great film. It's a, and it still looks, it looks fantastic, and it's a fascinating story. I tried to get this Sorry. film out when I was a teenager because I was so, I was a stand-up and I was really into it, and I heard about this somehow, but I couldn't find a way to watch it. It was so frustrating for me. Like I couldn't. get It was before the internet was any use. When I kind then, of, I kind of find all the labels in a way a bit because I do. I think so many, so much. I watch a lot of comedy, particularly in the in the summer at the festivals, you know, and catch people's shows. And there's sometimes you sort of, you could go, I don't know if I'm in the literature tent, the poetry tent or the comedy tent. And sometimes some comedians, they really are quite beautiful and they really, do you know what I mean? They're really sort of, you know, and some poets are sort of like dark Charlie Chaplin, kind of lost orphan comedian. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. The don't Lenny go out with him. Don't go, no, out, don't yeah. go out with him. <laughs> the, uh, the the Lenny book, which is there's quite a few. I mean, there's oh. there's also there's uh, Albert Goldman's one, which a lot of people are not keen on because that was kind of they felt that he he dug the dirt too much. And I remember Peter Cook doing a little kind of sideways little you know go at him on a whose lines it anyway bizarrely enough wow and uh, but there are things like how to talk dirty and influence people which is uh, mm, Lenny mm. Bruce's uh, autobiography and then there's Lenny in his own words and there's lots of quite nice little kind of short books which are if you actually what there's a brilliant collection which I think was put together by his uh, daughter Kitty it is Kitty Bruce I think and uh, it's oh what the hell is it called? But it, it's six CDs of his work. Wow! And you listen to it, and I think I have that. It's bloody brilliant, right? It is, and you listen to it, and you go, okay, fair enough. The jokes don't necessarily work anymore; they're not. Fu- but the rhythm mm-hmm. of it and the mm-hmm. language of it, I think that happens with some comedy. It might lose its potency in terms of of how much you laugh at it, but in terms of the potency of the beauty of he it, he really plays with language. In in it, yeah, he really mm-hmm. does. And, and it is performance poetry. So much of it. Yeah, yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. So that one, so so that's the, that's the, and that's kind of that's almost an adaptation of of that. That's kind of was that written after the film? That's who's that by? Um, this is by um, Valerie Kohler Smith. I'm not sure which came first, the film or the book. To be honest, hang on, I don't know. I've got a feeling this is the this is the book that came before the film. I think 
Well, it's uh, um, anyway. So Lenny Bruce. So yeah. he's a, he's a, now the next yeah. ones. Uh, I've, I see that you've got uh, to actually go down to the first ever William Burroughs that I read as well. Yes. No, I wanted. I brought this because a lot of people. Because um, uh, I just finished and published uh, Springfield Road, which is a memoir. And so a lot of people asked me which memoirs I read while I was writing Springfield Road and, and kind of which what kind of memoir writing I go for. Now, the thing with William Burroughs' Junkie is that the first 10 pages, I think, are the most beautiful. The prologue is not even 10 pages. I think it's like five pages. It's just so beautiful, just him describing childhood. Obviously, he's not like banging up smack at that point. And, um, but he's just, you know, and he's sort of describing how much he loves to sort of hold his breath to make his heart, you know, his heart race and, and being scared of the dark and the imagination and everything. And I just, I think it's really underplayed that the, what a fantastic writer he was. And I like people that are thrill seeking, heat seeking people. You know, I think I spent most of my childhood standing on my head, hanging upside down off the sofa or spinning around really fast yeah, yeah. in circles, just staring at the carpet just to just to get a buzz. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? And yeah. like sniffing the prick stick, making Christmas cards. This this is my time of year. But I think yeah. he's as well. It's almost he's overshadowed because of the associations with like rock musicians and or, or rock musicians being fans of his and his life yeah you know when somebody's life is that kind of uh mythologized and uh rock and roll in itself i yeah. think people do forget that they made any work yes 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 like, also him. that's a good the junkie which was the, the the two that got i think republished in like the late 80s or whatever it was which was junkie and queer which are both kind of quite autobiographical i think yes. and they are they're the gateway william burroughs because they mm. were the ones that he just kind of knocked out in in one way as right this is i've been asked to write this pulpy book i'll write about this yes. so it's before you get to the cut-up experimentation isn't it these yes. are kind of yes. slightly straighter works yes. it's such a lovely it's just got such a strong tone and such a strong voice which is very much his own i've got this lovely old old edition here and, and I mean, it even says on, I mean, it's not that old, because it even says on the back, before train spotting, there was junkie. It's like, they're all they're completely <laughs> different books. They're completely and utterly different books. But, but that makes sense to me in the context of the 90s. Like when I was about 13, 14, we were just so desperate to find alternative culture. And it would have, that was part of our canon was like William S. Burroughs and train spotting and um, find, and queer especially was on it because we were all so excited that there were potentials for lives that were different to a conservative life in Orpington you know it was so important yeah that's it. It's interesting that those uh, things still, because when you say that, because I remember in the 80s, Hunter S. Thompson, Lenny Bruce, uh, William Burroughs, you know, had lots of big books of, of beat fiction and then actually found out looking back. Some of it's not, it doesn't really last. It, well, you can imagine that in the 1950s and 1960s, it was amazing that these yeah. things existed. But then you go, well, actually, this doesn't really, it was an experiment that is, seems a little bit dead to me now. Yeah. Or also when we were talking that other podcast a while ago with uh, Owen Jones, where talking about the fact you go, and then you find out what some of the authors you like believed and you go yeah. oh <laughs> they hit who they did what yeah. they oh right i was just and about gets... to come to that i've been i'm just at the very beginning i can't tell you too much really but i'm just at the very i'm very interested in the women of the beat generation the wives and the girlfriends or even just nothing to do with them just the women of that, that generation what were they writing that they, surely they weren't all kind of at home you know you know with the children surely they yeah the whole kind of what i mean is the whole kind of like the beat thing and lsd and all of that 
Surely there must have been some girls like running around being, yeah. you know what I mean? Being well, of course they just will have been out, and, as yeah. fucking always. Well, that well, in the case of William Burroughs, you just hear about his wife getting an apple shot off her head, mm. and in the case of Carowat uh, Car- uh, and on the road, the wife is literally just at home. So, I kind of find that a bit of a pity. But that, that's why, I, as a young reader, I was very drawn to male writing because they seem to be having this having party, fun. which no women seem to be invited to. I completely agree, yeah. and it was even like that with. Um, stand-up representations on TV like you'd see it's you just you want to be the protagonist so you see whoever's the protagonist and you go oh I'm like that you know and you don't appreciate that actually there were fucking kick-ass women doing exactly what you would want to do who just we know who even were very successful at the time and then it's like but, and, but even in like stuff nowadays, when you sort of see a girl and she's drunk or off her head or experimenting, usually there's something bad comes from that. Like she ends up pregnant or she has an abortion or it's all terrible in the end. She doesn't get to fly free in that on the road way mm. when you oh. see an experimenting female. Something, something there has to be some sort of parable or some sort of fable at the end to sort of teach us all a lesson that would possibly, you know, one shandy's enough. You know, I kind of there is a really good book. There's uh, uh, um, research, you know, research, or I don't know how you, you know, they did various ones on kind of art and cult movies and uh, weird music, but there's one just called Angry Women. Ooh. And it's interviews, I think Karen Finley's in there and Kathy Acker, and, and it does give you a real picture of the 70s, 80s, these kind of, you know, ex- experiments that, that were going on. And then I was thinking as well, uh, in terms of Off the Road, I think it's called, which is Carolyn Cassidy. Oh, yes, Neil yes, Neil Cassidy's, yes. Uh, uh, and that, uh, I've, I've still not read it, but there's a mate of mine, just absolutely, it's Great. It is a fantastic revelation about, as you say, you know, the, the, the other side. Mm. And I was thinking, again, of all those different experiments, which are, a lot of the people in Angry Women, I think, are probably now already forgotten as well yeah. because they were they were in the kind of subculture and yeah. they might still be... But also the reason they were a subculture and not the main culture is because the whole thing is institutionally biased against them. So <laughs> Sometimes you know, there was also them. the act involving taking an enema on stage. There, there okay, I can that. see why that oh, wouldn't be mainstream. A little bit tricky. <laughs> but no, there are. It is a really... When I was reading... Sorry, dropping my own book. But they, uh, yeah. Yeah, reading that and it is there's that fantastic book I lost the title in my brain but I think the writer's Joyce Johnson and she writes about the kind of being in the background and the front cover is a is, is Jack Kerouac and she's literally like f- kind of foggy in the background but that's a really good account from a female point of view of the, that stuff but yeah anyway so that's that I was trying to think of another. There's Angry Women, which is really good there's uh, there was also another book by Morwenna Banks uh, was co-author of it the joke's on us. Ooh, what's Early that? Early 90s, all about uh, female comics. Oh, but the 90s was, there were so many brilliant yeah. female comics. But it's, it's kind of a lot about, you know, the, 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 the history of it as well. I'm pretty certain it's called The Joke's on Us. Mm. If it's not, please send us an email and correct <laughs> me. <laughs> Just send it to Robin. Don't send it to me. Um, I was really excited because you got Jean Reese. Um, oh, yes. And I've recently read, uh, now, there's one I haven't read, which I can't remember which, which one, one I haven't. The one is this I the one which yes I've read Good Morning Midnight and I've read um, Wide Sargasso Sea but I haven't read Voyage in the Dark or Quarter. Well, you should read them all, particularly all her 1930s stuff. What I love about Jean Reese, not only is she um, a half uh, mixed like me, a mix of uh, of being Caribbean and British, so she's in my gang, um, but also she's she. I love the idea that she just kind of disappeared and walked out of life. I find that really amazing. So she spent the 1930s. I went through this era of collecting all the writers that wrote about being in Paris. So you've got a movable feast, Hemingway, you've got... Um, uh, um, I always think of that all, quote all those in the kind building of, yeah. that says when we were most poor and most happy 
uh, where he used to live in Paris, it just says yeah. it in the front. Yes, exactly. And that's when he's all soft and kind of in love or as soft as Hemingway gets. Mm. But we've got all those kind of books of kind of being, you know, uh, I'm trying to say Tropic of Capricorn, but it's not. It's Tropic of Cancer, which is the one in Paris. And anyway, you've got all these books about these, all, all these men being in Paris all at the same time. And then the one female version that I really like of that is Jean Reese's versions in these mm. in those in those um, three novels that she put out at the beginning of the 1930s. And then she just disappeared. Yeah. She, I just find that so exciting it's and so scary and bold. weird. So, so what was the disappearance? So give me the... Well, everyone just thought she was dead and she was a massive pisshead and everyone mm. just thought she was dead and or just had given up or gone and whatever. And, um, and she was really hedonistic and really... Oh, I just love that. But she wrote again at the very end of her life, didn't she? Yes, that's when Wide Sargasso Sea came in the 1960s. They went and found her. She's in some little village in the middle of Cornwall. And, 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 and they came and found her. And, and that's when they found uh, Wide Sargasso Sea, which became the huge hit and which everyone knows her for. There's two things, and I, maybe someone might tell me I made this up, but I think it's true. When um, Dorothy Parker first won an award, she was really old. And also when Jean Reese finally won an award, she was really old. And they both had the same answer. So imagine you've been working really hard, you're like 90 years old, mm-hmm. and then you finally get some kind of Lifetime Achievement Award. And both of them, although they don't obviously know each other in different areas, were, um, said, it is not enough or it has come too late. Mm. I just think that's just so amazing. Imagine being given someone just going, it has come too late. Not like that, and walking off stage. So I've, I've seen, a, I've seen a, I've heard that Dorothy Parker did it, but I also think Jean Reese did it. Um, Which is a good contrast to Doris Lessing when she was getting out of a cab and they told her, I think she'd won the Nobel Prize. Mm. She was just like, well, I've got them all now. Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I found uh, these books, this one and... um, Which book is it? Sorry, Good Morning Midnight. I found that they did a very weird... Uh, they were more affecting to me emotionally than any other books I've ever read. Yes. Both of them gave me sort of mini breakdowns emotionally almost because I feel that this... Breakdown is the wrong word, but they were so affecting to me that it actually got in the way of my life for quite like a little while because they're so... I don't know what it is about them, but they just work so well. They know what they're doing so much. Have you noticed, though, how many people really... There's also... I've also met women that really dislike them, that find her that find her miserable or find her indulgent or find her... Well, I'm sorry. You know, they had happy childhoods <laughs> and supportive parents. Yeah. So what is it What is it that makes this so well, potent? Because, I mean, that's the thing. is I'm first drawn to the fact... We talked about Infinite Jest. That looks much shorter. It's A lot of it is about... There was a regret and thing. fear and that disparity between what you think you're entitled to is feeling like you are some kind of like princess and what you actually get. And it's about like the complete and total impotence of feeling stuck in your wrong life. And not that I feel that way, but I've definitely had people yeah. in my life who were like, I'll read you this tiny, tiny little bit. There's this book's all covered in bits of pencil. So this is just, just it's just her interior the way she's thinking. I just think every woman's probably felt like this. One word to you as I pass that girl's table. I could give all the rest of my life to be able even to stare coldly at her. As it is, I can't speak to her. I can't even look at her. I just walk out. Never mind. One day, quite suddenly, when you're not expecting it, I'll take a hammer from the folds of my dark cloak and crack your little skull like an eggshell. Crack it will go, the eggshell. Out they will stream, the blood, the brains. One day, one day, one day. 
It's just like, oh. I like the fact you believe that the author would have giggled at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I think you may well have editorialised. So I've still not read White Scasso Sea. I've seen the film, which uh, the trailer is very funny because basically what it says, I think, which is probably quite different, which is... uh, Gonna be very sexy. <laughs> That's basically all the trailer does. It's I can't remember which. <laughs> and uh, so, but but it's it's a re well it's a, it's a basically about the mad woman in the attic, isn't it? That, yes. That's the thing is what. What is her story? So it's from Jane Eyre. So what do you? I mean, you, having read those, and I, I do want to read that book. Um, what is she and trying it's to do? Claustrophobic and it's amazing, yeah. and it remind and it's like tragic in this like visceral way. Yes, and and also you know got that really rich Caribbean story as well because it all starts there, doesn't it? And it really the, the colours of that, especially yeah. like the colours and the images. So and the heat vivid. Of it. Yes. Yeah. 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 The radio, um, the radio version of Why Sarge SOC is wonderful. I've not. I don't think I've seen a film. I it was the early nineties. Yeah, oh. I might have a VHS of it somewhere. I, I've not watched <laughs> it yet. Now the next one we've got uh, going down. down uh, Boy Wonder. Should we have a look at? Yeah. I don't know anything about this at all. Now I don't know anyone else that's read this book, but this book has been like my favourite book since I was eighteen or something. This book is called Boy Wonder by James Robert Baker, who is now dead. He killed himself. That's all I've got. And what I love about this book is that it's a book where the main character never speaks. So the entire um, dialogue, the entire um, narration is done by different people's accounts of different events as he changes and grows from the accounts of him being born as he changes and grows and as he influences people. It's kind of the story of Hollywood because the first, like the first film he makes is full of love and it's a bit, it's received a bit like E.T. Then the next film he makes is a bit like, uh, you know, so, and it kind of like sort of talks about film very much and the, and the way films are promoted and the fashion in film and the fashion in in kind of how Hollywood uses people and how people chew up people and use people to get what they need and their agendas across. So it's kind of all of that, but you never even hear. It's all hearsay and legend and and bits of evidence. And, and it's that that I love. It's that way of writing so you never even meet your main character. And I just think that's so fascinating. It's brilliant. What a, what a clever and funny way. The only other to place I've found that that angle, of course, is as I lay dying, William Faulkner, which you never, which is all different people's accounts of a, of a series of events. So, and I just, I really think, I think I've brought it in to say I think I'd really like to try and write something like that one day bit, when I'm big. The Bridge of the up. San Luis Rey by Thornton Wilder is a little bit like that because it's six different perspectives on this um, bridge crash. In uh, Peru, Lima, maybe I can't remember, but but it's not as this is so funny the way that like it's he's he's invented fifty characters yeah. that are all common, but they're also real films. Looking at the contents, yes, Gun yeah. Crazy, which is an amazing film, Vertigo, The Thrill of It All, East of Eden, Planet of the Apes. I haven't seen Sex Killer Go Go. I don't know who good. did Sex Killer Go Go. Uh, Mondo Jet Set. So, yeah, this is... Uh... So it's as if he's real. It's as if he's a director that's moved through times. So there's people that wanted to be in his first film and then there's the people that feel screwed over because they didn't, you know, because they helped him on his way. There's all that bitterness, that Hollywood bitterness, as if he's re- a really real, real mm. one. And it's all kind of filmic. I and think... it is a documentary book. I love these. They did one about... The first one I ever read of these was uh, Edie Sedgwick. There was a book just called Edie. Came, right. came, out, came out from uh, Pimlico Original. And it was just lots of different people remembering Edie Sedgwick. So yeah, this is go. all... This is Sue Schlockman and Woody Hazard and Elliot Bernstein 
and uh, Drake Brewster. All no, but that's a great thing yeah, is to take <laughs> a documentary, a uh, make a documentary book about yeah fiction. I like that bit. I where just you think like, yeah, I just think it's just such a fascinating layout. I tried to find out more, and then I looked up the author, and I think he killed himself, shot himself, or something. So um, I don't think that's all he ever published, but I just think it's just—it's called Boy Wonder. If anyone knows any more about this book, then do let get in touch and let me know. So yeah, Boy Wonder by uh, James Robert Baker. That looks yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's beautiful, mm. isn't it? It's good. The one. Edie Cedric book as well. I highly recommend. By the way, if you get a chance to get the the Edie book, I don't know if it's still published or not. Uh, we better ramp. I'm just looking at the time now. So actually, we're not doing too bad. We're not doing. How too are we doing? Yeah, no, we're all right. Let's go. Which, which book do you right? Which one is the definite next one that you think we should hear about? Um. By the way, just while we're thinking about that, can I recommend, uh, this is quite an old one now, oh, but you yeah. must have read this, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Fun Home by Alison uh, Betchdale, just because we record this down the road from Gosh Comics, and I was looking around and I thought, oh, last time I was here, or the time before last Ooh. I bought Fun Home. Can Do I you know about it? Fun Home? No, I don't, but that looks amazing. It's, Alison Betchdale is, uh, and she's done one about her mother now as well, that's predominantly about, well, it's about her family, but the, the father is oh, kind yeah. of the, the jeopardy. I opened it, it's rude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all manner of stuff Page going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It is hot stuff uh, about uh, senses of betrayal. And um, The one about her mother is really interesting because a lot of it is about therapy and the process of therapy. Mm. Um, and this one is a bit more, bit more fun. Well, it's kind of also incredibly bleak. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's the true story of she was brought up basically in a funeral home. Uh, and that's why it's fun home. Right, right. So, uh, Alison oh, I Bechdel. get it. I get it. I get it. Sorry, I've distracted from okay. what you have. There. So, what I would, I'd like to tell you about is this book, which is, which is, I thought it was fantastic. It's by Deborah Delano, and it's called "The Things You Do," and it's published by Lepus Books. And I read this in the summer, and uh, and I just think it's just a fantastic memoir. It's a really good childhood memoir. It's kind of based around the same eras that I was touching on in Springfield Road. Actually, she's a little tiny bit older. It's kind of like the seventies, and that, and she really captures it beautifully. Um, so I'd really highly recommend that if you're into reading memoirs. So when you were when you were writing your memoir, yeah. how much you? Because that's one of the fascinating things, isn't it? You're constantly our memory is changing reality, and there's yes. no way you can find the truth because it becomes an absolute oh, truth. Yeah. So did you ever find yourself thinking, I'm not sure if that happened, but my God, that's a good story. Well, that no, is... that that happened. I, t- I actually admit to that quite a bit. I uh, the the idea of there being borrowed memories and the idea that that, that some things are like times have. T- sort of are like taking a tunnel down the past. For example, if you licked a felt tip, you're instantly like eight years old again. Ha. That flavour or the smell of Tipex dinner. So <laughs> you the... were finding your Proustian things to get yeah, you to write. I was like I would like roast a bit of chicken just for that smell to remind me of Sunday night bath time. You know what I mean? Those yeah. kind of like using smell and using music very much, playing the music. My father was a jazz musician. My mother was a go-go dancer. Yeah. And and just sort of to sort of remember my mother as a sort of young in her sort of thigh-high boots and kind of as she was in the 70s and the kind of the smells, the flavours, the music was really important to kind of use. And, you know, and then, of course, using obvious things like photographs and letters and you just kind of look at these photographs and pretend you can climb into them and kind of colour colour them in with sound somehow, just using your imagination. We can't remember everything, but we we do have these borrowed memories as well where, for example, there might be something your brother or your sister teases you about all the time. For example, I used to like to try and wee standing up quite a bit. I was a real little tomboy, and my brother used to laugh at me and find me sort of standing up, weeing all down my legs, wondering why it wasn't going in the toilet bowl. And I was like three or four. 
Uh, but my brother remembers that more clearly than me. And, and so there's like things like that, that that went in the book, which I don't massively remember. Actually, I do remember the weeing bit. <laughs> see, I, I remember. This Actually, is a thing where, where my sisters always have this. So I have two older sisters uh, and they have... They tell me that when I was about seven or eight, right, I found uh, a copy of it was it was a copy of Playboy or Mayfair or something in like and and I was reading it. I was like, "What is this?" And apparently, they then blackmailed me to do the washing up the whole time until I eventually broke down in tears and revealed what had happened. I have no memory of that at all. Whoa! I have no memory of the black man. You've blocked it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things that because I find that fascinating. That bit where when you start working on your memory, yes, you then like sometimes when I've got insomnia and I can't sleep, I start to walk around the buildings that you know I went to as a child oh, and I, see the yes. colours that I can remember and stuff like yeah. that. And then I think, what bits of my memories are fictions? What bits are like? I mean, I've talked to you before about the fact I was in a car accident when I was three, and I remember so many details of that. But how many of those? are real details I, I, I sometimes feel like I'm more connected to the memories of me as a forming human kind of zero to nine more than I remember what I was doing when I was 25 if you see what I mean that for some reason those memories really stuck I mean Springfield Road ends before cigarettes and boys it ends at age 11 just turning 12 so it stops before I grow up so all the fag smoking and boozing and my parents so so I'm kind of like just the innocent looking up, observing everything with my big afro, which my brownie bobble hat wouldn't go over and just kind of, you know, a sort of scabby knees, climbing trees, riding bikes, taking everything in. The late Where's set- Springfield Road? So Springfield Road is in Hastings in, in East Sussex. Oh, and- you're actually from Hastings? Yeah. Which, as we've talked about can't before, you tell- is the home of Bohemia. Yeah. Yeah. Can't you, you tell? You know that, don't you? By You've the seen way, that. I beat you up before I came <laughs> in here. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I was in Hastings actually last week. It's changed a lot. Ah, oh, in the last ten yeah. years, it's yeah. up and coming. Oh, it's isn't ever it? so up and coming. It's still the poor cousin at the wedding of Brighton, but it's that's definitely why, that's why it's better than Brighton. I love that it's. I mean, it's a real working uh, fishing town, and I love that sort of shabby. There's so shabbiness. much going on as well, yeah. and there are loads of people who moved down there because they were artists and they wanted somewhere to live that was. Like, not going to throw them out. <laughs> I love it, but it's so boozy. I literally lost, like, two days. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. But uh, really good times. But, my but you've friend... seen it. You've seen the Jonathan Meads documentary that ends in Hastings then. We haven't. No. So I we don't. talked about this before because Hastings comes up quite a lot. There's a, a documentary where Jonathan Meads, and it's also, I think the, the script is available in the Unbound book of Jonathan Meads, uh, oh God, I can't, uh, Museum uh, Without Walls. Is it Museum Without Walls? I can't remember the exact name of it. But uh, he goes in search of Bohemia right. and eventually decides it's Hastings. Yes, because and that's where Alistair Crowley P- came from. And then Fiona comes down the stairs of her ornate oh. house reading a poem. So. Ah. Oh, yeah, this is what we're going to find out at the end were... of doing all these. That everything leads to Hastings. Because <laughs> you were yeah. talking about oh, Alistair Crowley on another podcast. Yeah. He's from Hastings too. So there you go. He lived there at least. Yeah. yeah. And, and and this links as well, but we won't explain why. Uh, this is Deborah Delano, going back to this book. Oh, so this is very from... recent. The things that you do, yeah. or things things you do, sorry, not that you do. Uh, here are some stories of my life and the people entangled in it of a mother without boundaries and a father who liked to put the heed on. I don't know how, I don't know how to read that. Uh, I agree, you do it. You do voices. I can't um, do it. But it's just a very, um, yeah, really, uh, a really, a really beautiful memoir. So, if you liked Springfield Road or you heard of Springfield Road, this is the one that I'd, I'd tag to go and read next if that's your kind of thing. Also, you what yeah. a top opening line you've got. My father was a jazz musician. My mother was a go-go dancer. I, know. <laughs> I remember. There, there we go. What yeah. else was I going to become? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
Shall I read you a little bit from Springfield Road? Well, oh, you should. When, when, yeah. I thought because it's Christmassy time, I'll uh, read you something Christmassy and see if this sort of takes you back. So what I'm trying to make you do is take you back to kind of winter 1977, OK? I'll just read this little bit. The snow came in the night, falling thick and fast. By morning, there were deep snowdrifts in the narrow country lanes and jagged icicles hung like fangs from guttering. We were astronauts walking on a crunchy moon on the first day of proper snow, preparing for our expedition to planet school. Bundled up in mittens, hats and scarves, we met each other in the middle of the road, a brave new world, the white world. We wore plastic bags on top of our socks inside our Wellington boots. We'd eaten sticky thick porridge for breakfast, believing it would glow blue like low flames and central heating in our bellies. We puffed and stamped our feet through frozen puddles. We left our mark, dirtying the fresh clean snow of garden lawns with footprints and names. In gangs we rolled massive snowballs until they were boulders and too heavy to push. These would become the round bodies of snowmen, with pebbles for eyes, carrots for noses and sticks for arms. What did one snowman say to another snowman? Don't know. What did one snowman say to another snowman? Can you smell carrots? I'll leave it there. <laughs> I won't say any more. The, uh, I've just spied on your pile a book that I was going to bring up. Yeah. And uh, it turns out it's in your list of things there, which is Elizabeth Smart's brilliant book. Because you were oh. talking about uh, in terms of uh, the women uh, who are written out and that book, which is a tiny little novella. Yes. But do you know about... Yeah, I must have gone so on and on and on about this book. Elizabeth Smart by Grand Central Station, I sat down and wept. I oh. think is one of the most brave and beautiful, beautiful books of all, absolutely falling into the very centre of falling in love and lust and rejection and hurt and beauty and pain and I just think it's just so beautifully written it's the very very thin line between prose writing and poetry it's kind of both prose and yeah. poetry it's it's just an absolute battle an absolute conflict and an absolute joy I, I just that's one of my you can see how well worn it is um, it's Morris's favourite book to steal well from yeah, because <laughs> uh, the the brilliant song on uh, Meet Is Murder, Well I Wonder, has lots of lines for uh, uh, gasping yet somehow still alive. I'm the fierce last stand of all I. Uh, that's in there. And uh, can you hear me? When hang on, what's it, the, right at the end? It ends with. Uh, but Well I Wonder is basically the musical version of that book. Oh. I the only problem with the book is I always get it in the wrong way round. Did she sat down and sadly wept at Grand Central at Grand Central Station? She sadly sat down and wept. Which way round? And I always get it wrong. Yeah, which way? So that's why I don't. Yeah, I know. No, there by Grand Central Station. Oh, I sat down and wept, but I've sometimes sat down and wept by Grand, and I've got it all wrong, and it's very, very embarrassing. <laughs> and then that yet again turns me into the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of this, but not yet read it. It's oh. brilliant. It is. It's one of the most beautiful summer. books. I My kind of book as well. Lovely. 110 pages. No mucking no, about. Exactly. Yeah, no mucking about. 110 pages. Oh, here oh. we are, my dear, my dark. This is the final line, right? This is not a spoiler. Yes, I went to Edinburgh and I found it framed. I went to Edinburgh. I met these incredible people back to their house an amazing time and then there framed on their wall was the line that's cut off the end of the book and that was the bit that didn't make it into the book for some reason those very very last lines which I've written in pen my dear my darling do you hear me where you sleep which again stolen by Morrissey beautifully uh, I shall love you till the what's that is that years till or the seas seas oh seas 
I shall love you till the seas go dry, till the rocks melt, my love, my bleeding, blooded rose. Yes. Why did she cut? So she just. I don't know why they're just not in my edition, so that's why I wrote them in pen. Well, so they were like, you don't need this last bit. You don't need the bleeding, bloody rose. (laughs) That's quite enough rosy, rosy talk. (laughs) Listen, he kisses the circles on top of the water beneath which I lie drowned. Anyway, suffice to say, it's not a romp necessarily. (laughs) Also, I like the fact that we're we're talking about books that are so melodramatic, but that's like hyperbolic and big and willing to... It's like you were saying at the very beginning about the idea that everyone needs something that's epic and overblown, you know? And I was reminded there's a painter called George Shaw who was nominated for the Turner Prize a couple of years ago, but I liked him before then. And he, um, (laughs) he paints using... Uh, you know, hum, um, humbrol paint. Yeah. You know those paints you used the to little, paint. Yeah, for air little and stuff. F- yeah. yeah, yeah. He paints only in those on boards, but he paints these beautiful, vivid scenes of the estate that he grew up on in Coventry. And it's the same thing of like, why not a phone box in front of the old boarded up community centre on an estate in Coventry? Why not make that a beautiful, you know, commemorated oil painting yeah. as opposed to uh, Apollo? coming down from the mountain or whatever, you know? Though there is, in terms of Apollo, different Apollo, but one of the things I love when I was down at... I instantly oh, thought God. of Rocky when you said <laughs> Apollo. What's it, what's it, whereas I thought of the, the moon landings, obviously. Oh, that just shows the difference that we all are. That's one of the first tests done by psychotherapists. When I show you this word Apollo, what comes to you? It's a kind of a, a different kind of Rorschach test. But at, at the... Oh God, I've forgotten the name of the test. When just, I hear just, Rorschach, I also give Alan more. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> the... Um, Oh, what's it called? There's a tiny little town uh, which has got a cathedral, though, and uh, the different kind of prayer mats uh, that you can kneel on or whatever they're called, the final one has the Apollo 11 mission on it. And I think, ah. oh, I like that. Um, so hang on, how long have we got? Oh, we're nearly there now. We, we're running out of time, so we need to... Running you have... Let's go through all of the five books that you've also brought, because I'd hate you to get sciatica without getting something out of it. OK. And, um, I, have, um, I, have th- I have four poetry books here. I found it very difficult to choose poetry, but... Um, Tim Wells, legend, he's got a new book out. It's, this one's called Everything Crash. I'm still reading this and walking around with it everywhere. I just absolutely love it. This one, Everything Crash, Tim Wells, comes out in Penned in the Margins. I think that only came out last month. By the way, cool, penned in the margins, can I just say I'm glad that your books are used. This is one of my great arguments with people, which is if you have a book, draw on the book, underline yeah, things, make yours. notes in the margins. Okay, the resale value was absolutely... Pl- one of my favourite things is to buy a book, which one has a postcard in it, and I open mm. it, I go, oh, postcard from 1938, yeah. I like it. And the other is finding, I'm sure I've mentioned, sometimes just the most obscure and bizarre, and you think, I'm not even sure if that has anything to do with the paragraph mm. this man or woman has just read, but suddenly and ideas come to them. I, read I should say, Sorry, one of the things I do not like is buying second-hand maths textbooks online and somebody's done all the questions and put the <laughs> answers in next to the questions in pen so I can't oh. even rub it out or read the questions. That's or buying good. copies of World of Horror magazine where it turns out someone has cut out some of the coupons which has taken away some of Vincent Price's face. Oh, no. eBay. Dreadful, dreadful. I, I but I think, say- as someone said to me, if you read a book with a pencil in your hand, it's like having a conversation with the author. Yes. And as someone else said, you know, that a book should feel like someone putting a hand on on your shoulder, a familiar hand on your shoulder. I think writing a book should feel like that too. You're kind of like making a friend. You're communing. Yeah. There's that poem by Billy Childish where he says, like, this is for the 
unsung poets or I can't remember what it is the the, the starving poets in obscurity like you, I'm here I'm of you and there were millions of us before me and you're part of this so don't worry about it Billy Childish is wonderful yeah. and anyway just going to give oh, us I was just going to say the, this Tim oh, Wells book because you mentioned everything Crash uh, I've just opened it on a page The Column Inches which is uh, a poem which is uh, inspired by Mary Millington um, and then what a great title there but for the grace of Bauhaus no, Tim Wells is amazing. He's yeah. a fantastic poet. I think this is his fourth book. He was another another mate of mine from like sort of when I first started out, sort of nineteen ninety four. It helped me a lot and got me a lot of gigs and getting drunk with him and He's John really Cooper Clark. It's really of a yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing that's happened a lot. I yeah. just did some touring with a poet, an American poet called Derek Brown. Who I really recommend. Oh, yes. He's, yeah, he's really funny and loads of fun. And uh, I got one of his books and it was absolutely brilliant. Although I can't remember the name of the book to be helpful now, but. Yeah. And he might not have been called Derek Brown. <laughs> but anyway, there was a poet. What are the other books? Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say um, the two the two other books that I'm walking around with is The Fugit Pit, which is uh, Jenny Lindsay. Don't know if you know Jenny Lindsay. She's up in Edinburgh. She's amazing. And the other poet that I'm walking around with is Joelle Taylor, The Woman Who Was Not There, published by Burning Eye. Oh, I love the cover art on that. Yeah, a giant woman on the cover. Thank I you also very much. I, I follow the Scottish Poetry Library on Twitter, and I love that account. And I would recommend everyone following. Yeah, so do for, I. They expose me to so much new stuff that I've not read, or just beautiful classic stuff. It, yeah, they're great, aren't they? Yeah, they're really, really good. There's, I always love it when I get asked to do stuff in Glasgow and Edinburgh and up oh, there. Yeah. It's always a right laugh for the new Reeky lot and that lot. It's good fun, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you were mentioning uh, the the man who wrote Boy Wonder and, uh, and the fact that he uh, killed himself, that reminded me of a book that my recommendation for the week is not a new book. Uh, it's by a man called David Seabrook and it's called All the Devils Are Here and it is about uh, various different stories. Well, it's true stories of Thanet and that area and okay. uh, including stories like about Richard Dad. I was actually who... born in Margate. Oh, well, it all links that again. Another the the, the the Margate links continue here as well, and uh, it's uh, it's really fascinating. It starts off with uh, I think the first story in the book is about Richard Dad, who was the painter who killed his father, and then spent the rest of his life in an asylum where he painted and stuff like that. And David, and the reason I bring it up is I read it and I thought, wow, this is such a fantastic book. The way that he describes Shakespeare world as well, when he has to go to these, it, it it's kind of entertaining. Sometimes it's bleak, and it's just such a fascinating little bit of you know Kent is sometimes a forgotten part of. Of, of of the world in yeah. terms of yeah. culturally, and there's so much culture I mean, the from kind, Kent. I mean, well, the kind David of like Seabrook, the... It, the tragedy, of course. I went. I wonder what else he wrote, and then you look him up and you go, oh. Well, the whole kind of thi the thing with Springfield Road is this kind of. I read you sort of quite a gentle piece, but the kind of the backstory or the running thread. Actually, no, more like the sort of vein going through the story is that my father hung himself when I was nine. And to sort of, so there's kind of like this sort of shadowy kind of dark. So it's written in this really, you have like these these kind of like memories where I sort of take you there and then you're there. And I, I want you to go there. I want you to sort of feel like the cold on your knees and being made to do PE in your pants and vest. I want you to be there. And then when that news comes, you feel it as if you're nine again. And it's, that's kind of the sort of central bit of the book. I probably didn't explain that. But yeah. And uh, yeah, and we, we originally lived uh, in Margate, Thanet. So that's come full circle and Hastings, and there you go. Oh, my God. That's, I know. Uh, that's one of the stranger ways to end a podcast. Yeah. Um, the, uh, no, don't be sorry <laughs> at all. This is... Um, thank you very much for taking us through the world. Well, so much poetry and for bringing Elizabeth Smart and Boy Wonder and Springfield Road, which is currently available, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's out with uh, Unbound. The audio book's out now, but I don't know... 
the audiobook and the paperback. And do you re- you must read the, the audiobook, right? Yeah, it was the horriblest thing I've ever done. I never want to read an audiobook so again. To do. <laughs> it was, yeah. no, but Did you actually have bits so where you, you go? I remember I've only read out short stories in those things where you go, oh, hang on. Oh, no. Yes. Do you mind if I change this? Because this is such a clumsy sentence and yeah. there is that kind uh, of horror. There were a couple of bits like that, yeah. But it was more just kind of like, oh, God, here we go again. Me, 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 me. I, had that. <laughs> I did a director's commentary. That's for the thing a joke. with memoir, it's all me, me, me. No, but I did a director's commentary for a joke on a stand-up show and I got so sick of my voice and my face. I was like, oh, great, here I am again. Yeah. (laughs) I always do it with a friend and only after a bottle of wine and then very rarely actually talk about the thing. But thank you very much for coming along. Thank you very much for reading from Springfield Road. And uh, Josie, what is your recommendation of this week? I've gone with All the Devils Are Here. Uh, Uh, So Derek Brown, the poet. Also... um, uh, Ross Sutherland is doing some incredible stuff. Oh, he's amazing, Ross. Yes, and he's like such a dude. Not not even necessarily books like filmmaking and performance and stuff. Oh, they're all geniuses country. that lot. Yes. and Luke Wright and yes. all that. They're like the wonder. All kinder. the R sixteen boys. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. And very I, much for I suppose listening. my recommendation is the fact that I was in Portland, Oregon last week. No big deal. Why bring it up? And while I was there, I went into <laughs> this bookshop, uh, which is this massive bookshop that conveniently I can't remember the name of right now, and it's a whole city block of books with like all these floors it's absolutely stunning <gasps> oh, I know it where it is because I went there years what's ago what's it called and it's I can't remember I all mean, I can I, think I, of is I went, Strand, I, 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 I went there as, as a, a 19 year old and it's where I bought uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Great Shark Hunt well, and also might. have my copy of the Robin Williams scrapbook because I was such oh. a big fan of Robin Williams that I bought this little book that came here Star of Morgan Mindy and it was like from 1979 oh. I think almost just as he became famous and I never got rid of it every now even when I was like not as big a fan and I thought no keep that get rid of that and obviously I didn't get rid of my Robin Williams scrapbook so yeah I remember so I was there and I found all these uh, I found a thing that was sort of zines and absolute small publishing of the smallest kind like down to the fact that there were these tiny little notebooks with one short story in and it really just delighted me and reminded me that even if you're in, you know, a really big bookshop or like a really um, like Barnes and Nobley style bookshop, you'll be able to find someone who will have curated something of very small publishing. Like yes. the fact that often poets will put out a tiny collection on a very small imprint, and there's always worth in taking a punt and finding stuff. Just like going to Zine. Had, a man so like fun. my a man like my poem um, can't be bothered, and he made can't be bothered into a tiny little like the size of a stamp into a flip book like oh, a yes. and with the poem and he was selling it to people for twelve p like walking around uh, yeah. He sent like, me a, I. I deserve five p of that. No, I didn't get any money for that. I just only, I just loved that he'd done it, so yes. I didn't care. Yeah. But yeah, he was just sort of selling that one poem. Can't be bothered. Yeah, Selena Gordon. Josie Long. Thank Robin you so much. Thank, Thank you. you very oh, much such a pleasure. Us. And uh, we, there will be uh, more podcasts coming up very soon. Are and we, I would like to... Oh, sorry, Josie. We're going to thank some people who... We would like to thank some of the people who've been our patrons and pledged money so that we can keep doing this. So this week, we would like to thank Becky Vick, Steve, Ron J. Ferraro, Rachel, Jason Arnup, who's also, by the way, got an interesting... Well, he's got some interesting stuff coming out as well. Look up Jason Arnup. Uh, Richard Walkington, Brian Condren, Paul Keith, Terry Hogan, Bob Watcher. Who else, Josie? Uh, I'd like to say thanks to Adam Gilbert, to Michael Naylor Hodgkinson, Ollie, (laughs) to James Elwood, to Dan McMahon, uh, Fran Miller-Petzo, Michael Dunn, Chris Wright. Thank you, James Jopling. Uh, thank you, Richard Soden. Thank you so much for supporting this. I'm so thrilled if you're enjoying it. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>